Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Escaping Kerberos, the podcast where we rewatch, reminisce, and review everything Doctor Who from 2005 to present. My name is Rich, and I'm joined by the one person who always brings a banana to a party. It's Amy. I don't even like bananas, to be honest with you. Well, then you're—that's why you're crap at parties, Amy. Hey, it's why it's why when it's my birthday I, I don't invite you. Hey, you my crap. birthday's the day before yours. I, if anything, I don't invite you. Fine then. I won't bring a banana to your party, okay. and you won't bring one to mine, and okay. we'll all be happy, won't okay. we? That's yeah. fine. I'm going to start this episode off with a domestic. <laughs> About bananas. About bananas that neither of us like. <laughs> like, I don't even like, I don't think I like anything banana related. Nah, anything that's like banana flavoured or banana scented can get in the bin. I feel like there was a period of time where I enjoyed like banana milkshakes, and now I like I get Ugh. a whiff of banana when you whenever you bake banana stuff, and I'm like, Ugh! Yeah, nah. No, thank you. I haven't anyway, baked bananas in a while, thank God. <laughs> First segue of the podcast, I've not even introduced the episode. Welcome to episode four of series two. It is time for girl, or the girl, not girl, the, the girl in the fireplace. Aired yeah. on the 6th of May, oh. 2006, so we had just turned 11, oh. and written by Stephen Moffat. Which, for okay. some reason, I always forget that this yeah. was written by Stephen Moffat. I think we was talked about Stephen episode. Moffat back in the uh, Empty Child Doctor Dances episodes last series, and there were people in the comments just like, you know, you are aware he wrote Girl in the Fireplace as well. It wasn't just Empty Child and Blink. And it's like, oh, uh, yeah. Well, he had a good track run during T. Davies era. Let's yeah. just say that. Is that what you call it? A good track track record? Track record. You were close. Track record. He had a good run or a good track record. That's not, the one. Not both. But he did, yeah. He, he really, really did. So as as I've said a million times, and I'm sure I'll mention a million times again, the idea of him taking over a showrunner was always so exciting because his stuff was so good. Mm-hmm. And then you give him the keys to the entire series, and it all just kind of falls apart a bit. Yeah, so, it's always not, the way not I feel. entirely, kind of like. but you you assume that someone who can craft such phenomenal one or two part stories that giving them a series, it's like oh, this could go down really well. but Yeah, but alas. writing one story compared to writing three Oh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Different. But, you know, still, there was that hope that uh, he would have done... He would have, like, nailed it like he hey, had Hey, he was still better than Chibnall! <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see if Chibbers can keep his... Um, his Dalek track record up come Christmas-ish. We had our, we've had our reveal by the time of recording <gasps> that uh, Captain Jack is coming back for Revolution Captain of the Daleks. Jack. But we don't know whether it's still being out at Christmas yet. Like there are some, A few people tweeted me this uh, as well, and I did, I did see it uh, on the BBC website, that they were talking about, they were, the, the BBC are talking about their Christmas schedule at the moment, and they mentioned Doctor Who, but they don't say when it's being aired. It's because last time so, it was a New Year special. Well, the, all of even even with the press release of uh, with uh, John Barrowman coming back, they still just say holiday special. 
and mm-hmm. festive season. They don't say when it's going to be airing Which means it will probably be annoyingly either New Year's or smack bang in the middle between Christmas and New Year. <laughs> they just randomly air it. It's on the 28th. It's like, wow. Cash. What way to relegate Doctor Who? I don't know. Genius. I want it to be Christmas Day because I, 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 you know, I miss going home and forcing my family to watch Doctor Who. I, know, I mean, they won't. They will just leave me to it. My, my mum only... and dad will be asleep on the sofa. My siblings say. will just leave and I'll just sit on the like in the middle of the floor, like right in front of the TV, eyes wide, ready to watch the only the good thing special. about uh, Doctor Who not being on Christmas Day last year was the fact that I didn't have to listen to my dad snoring over the top of it. Because <laughs> he That's usually scary. comes over on Christmas Day, eats with us, and then while we're all playing games and doing stuff, he'll fall asleep. And then whatever we're trying to watch on telly that evening is uh, just drowned out by his snoring. <laughs> Which I really hope he doesn't listen to this because... <laughs> I Sorry, I Dad. I don't think he will. Anyway, will. let's talk about the girl in the fireplace. So yes. Mickey has boarded the TARDIS after the end of uh, school reunion and he is now out on his first adventure. So this does take place directly after mm-hmm. the events of school reunion because when they when they clamber out of the TARDIS in onto the uh, the spaceship in the 51st century Mickey says oh it's a spaceship I got a spaceship on my first go so you know heavily implying oh, that this was isn't his she first wearing trip. the same aren't they wearing the same clothes as well I'm pretty sure Rose is wearing the same t-shirt no is she not I don't think so well yeah but why would they, I mean, they, they'll have... Why would Mickey have changed clothes, though? Because he wouldn't have had anything to change it unless they decided to go from the I'm, school I mean, reunion home to pack a bag and then join the TARDIS. That's the thing, like, they, they dematerialise at the end of school reunion and obviously then canines revealed behind the TARDIS, but they, they could have just gone back to the power estate for they Mickey to go did. grab his bag of stuff and kiss goodbye to his mum. I don't know why, I just feel TARDIS. like I remember Rose... Wearing the same T-shirt at the end of school reunion when she I goes, she might no, still, great, I think, yeah. I think she's still wearing blue, but I don't. I do you know what? I, I'm gonna while we're talking, I'm gonna just I'm just have to check this now. Yeah, now that you've, I don't know. Uh, I'm probably wrong, but uh, I don't think they're wearing. I don't think she's wearing the same T-shirt. I mean, you wouldn't have thought so. No, cause... she. Oh, you say that? No, she's she is wearing a blue T-shirt. Right. But it's not the same blue t-shirt, or at least so not So they must have just hopped quick back home to pack a bag and then... <laughs> must have been. I mean, Rose would have already had clothes on the TARDIS anyway. But yeah, she's still wearing just a normal blue t-shirt and her hair is... Because she's got that hair sort of like like crimped almost, mm. or just like sort of not wavy. curled. It's wavy, that's the word. Wavy. Um, I don't know about hair. Uh, <laughs> so... You know, it's. It, it, I just find it fascinating. I just find it funny to think that Rose sits on the TARDIS and like does her hair. I know. In between trips, like it's like Doctor. I mean, do hey. any straighteners perchance? <laughs> Got any or does Rose bring them with her? Yeah. She probably brought like, them yes, with her. Did you see the bag yeah. she packed? Down the stairs, past the bins. Uh, there's the the, the the TARDIS salon. Is in right the beauty there. room. <laughs> yeah, it's where I keep my wigs. The Doctor says, <laughs> as he removes his hair. I actually, he does that technically, doesn't he? In a series seven, but anyway, what? you 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 know what I'm talking about when we get to it. Time of okay. the Doctor. Okay. Um, we end up in the 51st century, and we find windows leading back to 18th century France. 1727. 1727. We're gonna see I know. I was just about to do that. <laughs> musical of this, uh, and the Doctor becomes this imaginary friend to Renette better known as Madame de Pompadour. I have a question. Was Madame de Pompadour a real person? Yes. Right. The mistress of uh, King, King Louis. King Louis. Which is... It's just, it's just kind of hilarious, the idea that the... The, the 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 king of France can just be like, here's my wife, here's the queen, here's my mistress, here's the side bay. <laughs> and the thing is, like, I'm just looking now. She was the chief mistress. So, so we have multiple. Were there multiple ones? Probably. So, yeah, interesting. And and obviously, even though Renette sees the Doctor twice when she is young, mm-hmm. both times when I think she said she was seven years old. Yeah. Um, once uh, just through the fireplace, and then the second time uh, when the the clockwork droids under her bed. In those in the, those many years, I mean, how many years is it implied between? Well, she's twenty. She was twenty three. So assumedly, when he her age sixteen years. But does does he see her before then? Yes, he does. He's because he, he yeah he snogs her and mm-hmm. then then comes there's the moment back. when she's like. Uh, 
flanked by the the clockwork droids and they take it, take it out and stuff and then he asks her her age so over that time doesn't he check slowly... her in the fireplace uh, not the fireplace in the garden before he finds yes, out her age yes he doesn't speak to her no but that must Sees have been extra time sees her in the garden uh, comes back through after defeating the clockwork droid where she's grown up mm-hmm. and kisses him so obviously between those two times she's developed feelings for him somehow after only meeting him really once i mean i don't want to go down the rabbit hole again of what happens if david Tennant ends up in your bedroom but i mean uh, (laughs) let's just let's just move on before we annoy the comment section um (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's quite strange and in fact you know it's gonna it's gonna kind of lead uh to one of the questions from m louise uh from youtube and they ask i'm wondering what you think about the romance between Renes and the doctor i've always felt the relationship between them was slightly forced and it's always seemed like his treatment of rose is very out of place considering how protective both the ninth and tenth doctor of her mm. but i do love the episode though and m raises a very good point because yeah, yeah. it it seems it seems kind of strange it'd be i feel like um when the doctor says uh when when she kisses him and that bloke comes in and he has like one line which is who the hell are you mm-hmm. um and he realizes he's snogged madame de pompadour and he's like oh my god it's her it's her it's her it's like this person you know, she did this she did she's a great dancer you know fantastic gardener yeah um <laughs> just proper cockney for that he does um he, he seems really like excited by that fact and yet he doesn't seem like much of a fan like imagine think of think of how the ninth doctor saw charles dickens and how much he like freaks out because he's so Mm. excited to meet charles dickens if he'd have had that same response with madame de pompadour maybe that justification of the doctor almost falling for her as well because he kind of does maybe that would have been a bit more justified but it more feels like he sees a window to some action and he just jumps on it. I don't know. I don't know that I would agree with that necessarily. I think the kiss comes out of nowhere, like 100%, because literally he met her when she was seven, then again when she was seven, and then all of a sudden the next time they meet, she's snogging his face off. And I think she must maybe only be about maybe 18 there or something like that, we mm. can assume. Um but yeah, it does come very, very out of nowhere. And the thing is, is like, he starts kind of like, oh, oh, get away from me, get away from me. And then you see right towards the end of their kiss, he's like, well, do you know what, might as well have a he bit of He kind of reciprocates it as he a does close a bit, up and you he see like, him like happily go along with it. Bit, he stops like kind of trying to get away from her and he sort of goes, mm, this is quite nice actually. And like okay. starts lowering his hand to her waist as you sort of see it. And then she runs off. Mm. Um... So I don't know whether necessarily he, like, sees a window to some action. Because realistically, I don't think he's there to sort of be like, hey, you could probably get a bit of a bang in here, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. He He's just trying to work out what's going on. And the fact that she snogged him, maybe, was kind of the catalyst for him being like, do you know what? She was this. She was a lovely gardener. She was a dancer. She was this. She was this. And like, it's I do kinda admire like, her. Yeah, yeah, he's like admiring her achievements. And then he's like, do you know what? She just snogged me. So might as well jump on that bandwagon. Yeah, um, I mean, that, that's probably more so what it is. And and that's I kind of think... more what I was implying, not not the idea of, oh, the doctor can get a free shag. Oh, no, I mean, no, it's no, the no, idea no, that there, no, is yeah. that, there is that potential connection there. Because in the same way we, we've, we've talked about with Rose before, about there's this person that he feels that he can be comfortable with, he can open up to, and therefore that those kind of feelings will mm. be there. And, and the thing is, obviously, when they do like that, um, that kind of thoughts exchange section in the middle where like she he's reading her mind, but she also reads his, mm. I feel like he's kind of put off by that. But then at the same time, like she's so clever that she doesn't like shy away from anything. She just kind of adapts into it. Like when Rose is explaining to her right at the end, like there's a vessel and she summarizes it in far more like, you know, concisely and... Sort of oh yeah she's like incredibly and... clever so i feel like that also draws the doctor to her um but the his treatment of rose i feel is yeah it's a bit odd in this one because rose and mickey in this episode don't really have a purpose other than to be captured and yeah it's uh it's not unfortunate um 
because it doesn't detract from the episode. Obviously, you need that back and forth between the ship, them kind of piecing together what's going on, and, like, the Doctor going through to, like, watch Renette's life and stuff. Um, But I think because of the fact that he's so focused on Renette and the fact that this woman is sort of, like, suddenly come into his life and he doesn't know what's going on, he's almost more intrigued by her situation and the fact that she keeps... Like, why she keeps getting older when he can only he can literally just appear for like 10 seconds and then all of a sudden she's like you know four five years older Mm. um so i don't know about that one it's a bit difficult like i do i feel like i i gel with the connection like i feel like the connection works because she is exactly the sort of person he would connect with on a sort of base level of like intelligence of like you know she's attractive she doesn't shy away from him she's always like sort of wanting to see him and i feel like some people you just kind of get that connection with um and yeah he has that with rose but i feel like you know the reason that the rose kind of gets put on the back foot in this episode is a for the audience's benefit because for the audience to sort of see that emotional impact from rose's point of view obviously the doctor doesn't see that um, so for the audience's benefit, the fact that he sacrifices his normal life for her, for Madame de Pompadour, is uh, is something that literally the audience only really get to see the ramifications of that. Because as soon as the Doctor comes back, Rose is all, oh my god, you're back! And that's it, really. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, but it does make you wonder why he would... I mean, he keeps his promises, obviously, he's the Doctor, isn't he? But it does kind of make you wonder why... He would, he would abandon Rose yeah. for the sake of a woman that, realistically, he's only known for a couple of hours. Yeah. Altogether. In so, bits. <laughs> yeah. It's it's quite strange. I can understand why like M sees it as being forced and the truth of Rose out was feels out of place. Obviously with, with Mickey being there, as you said, that they, they A they serve not really masters of purpose. Like this could have probably quite easily been a like a doctor or a companion light episode like Midnight mm-hmm. could have easily been like that, um, but with Mickey there, it kind of disables the Doctor to to really have those kind of feelings. Like if you were being like really pally, I say pally, like you you, no, you, you were you much more comfortable with someone that you liked, but they were with somebody else, and when their partner is actually there, you can't act in that same way because you're worried it will upset the part because it's like either the either the person you're wanting to be friend like closer to would either read that as can you stop like coming on to me while my partner's here Mm. or yeah the partner might kick off in retaliation mickey is the partner (laughs) but interestingly mickey isn't now that he's out there with the doctor and rose he doesn't seem territorial and nor does the doctor they both seem to sort of mickey mickey i think mickey is admittedly it's more in the moment like he's on a big spaceship you know he's mm-hmm. he's crapped himself at the the stars he says they look really realistic it's like way to point out the the iffy cgi mickey <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> you know he he's there with the fire extinguisher he's doing like commando rolls around the ship like he's he's on cloud nine. Oh, like, he's loving in, it in reality rose is not on its wavelength and the doctor sort of just sort of sort of shies away from them both you know, yeah. he, he, I think he feels like he is now the third wheel and mm. rather than getting himself in the middle of it, he only really gets in between them when he has to, when it's like, right, here's a time to act clever, here's a time to move the plot forward, here's a time to save them from the clockwork droids. Otherwise, he just sort of keeps himself to himself. He'll go wander around with Arthur yeah, or go find a, find a mirror Arthur. and go for a snog. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point bringing up Mickey because I think it definitely changes the dynamic of the the like the uh the traveling group because i mean obviously like you know when you if you ever sort of had a crush on somebody who you think has a crush on you back but for some reason is uh maybe unavailable but like you're not entirely sure it's very it's a very different situation when you're alone together to how Mm. it is when you're around other people um especially when the other person is potentially the well exactly the other yeah, yeah the other half and uh I feel like 
Mickey sort of being involved because Rose was all like, I don't like, you know, she didn't really want him to come. And then at the end of the last episode, and then as soon as this episode uh, comes in, she's like, oh my God, look, let's show you around the ship. Let's do this. Let's... And she suddenly changed her tune. Like she doesn't seem to be that upset that Mickey's there anymore. And maybe the doctor was kind of like, maybe we shouldn't have said he could come. And so he kind of like skips off and. I'd assume that the reason why she was so concerned, obviously, as we said last time, was the fact that she just had this idea, she had this own idea as to how things would pan out between mm. the three of them. And in reality, things seem pretty, they seem civil on Not all sides. Me. Like, um, I think it was Matthew said, yeah, what uh, the doctor's saying, what does revolution, what is pre revolutionary France doing on a spaceship? Uh, oh sorry um, Mickey says oh what's a horse doing on a spaceship and the doctor says what's pre-revolutionary France doing on a spaceship Mickey gets some perspective Matthew asks whether that's like the doctor taking the piss out of Mickey or just stating the sort of bigger question and it's like the 10th doctor doesn't really feel that way towards Mickey no he doesn't in the same he's way not, nine he's not does. the same way nine did where he was like Mickey no. the idiot whereas because the, the ninth doctor you could almost be mistaken for almost being more of a dad figure to rose where he was like very protective yeah. of the fact that this was rose's boyfriend and that's not okay because i'm like almost like her dad and i don't appreciate my daughter's boyfriends kind of like <laughs> stereotypical father of the bride role um but um whereas tenant obviously being younger being more like on her wavelength and on like kind of like you know that age gap being smaller doesn't well, see Mickey visually as, smaller. Yeah, well, Not yeah, I, I know what you yeah. mean. Technically, he's older, but like, you know, what I mean, um, it for, from Rose's perspective anyway, uh, it doesn't. He's coming across more now as a love interest than he was a father figure. Like before, she might have loved him in the same way you love your your sister or your friends or like whatever. Whereas now she's like, damn, he's hot. I could get me some of that. And is loving him now in a very romantic way. Um, she might have loved Eccleston in a romantic way, but obviously it was slightly different. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I don't feel like Tennant's Doctor really takes the piss out of Mickey in the same way that Nine did. Um, I feel like he very much is like... I, don't, I think, <laughs> as without being kind of like breaking the fourth wall and all that lot... I don't really feel like he was saying it for the sake of anything except a joke. And like, like you know, like Moffat wrote a joke in that Mickey just happened to be the butt of. But I think yeah. it was more the case that like Mickey, obviously Mickey's still learning. He's still like, this is his first trip out. And so it wouldn't be Rose asking that question. Like if you were going to put the joke in, it almost had to be Mickey asking the question. And so I feel like the doctor's reasoning of saying like, what's 18th century France doing on a spaceship? Get some perspective. Is not as a way of sort of putting Mickey down or being like, come on, Mickey, the idiot. Like, yeah, he's just kind of being like, come on, Mickey. Like if you're going to be part of the team, at least ask the right questions. Like he's trying to bring him in, in and say like when he's saying get some perspective it's kind of like he wants him to be involved and he wants him to be part of the group almost i feel rather than him like trying to estrange him and like take yeah. the mickey out of him a bit take the mickey hey, hey. there you go <laughs> so yeah the, the dynamic is a it's a strange like normality to it after well i say after after no time well barely any time at all between the end of school reunion you know rose's reaction to now so mm. Yeah, but like going back to sort of the relationship side, um, Sophia Miles plays uh, Madame de Pompadour, who <laughs> she pretty. Really, she's very pretty. The only real thing that I can think of that I know her from otherwise is she played uh, Lady Penelope in the two thousand and three, two thousand four uh, Thunderbirds live action. Film. No way! I knew yeah. I recognised her from. So was yeah. that the one with Vanessa Hudgens? Yeah, Damn. Play Tintin. <laughs> Wait, I'm not gonna lie. I love that film. It wasn't a bad I absolutely, film. Absolutely, I it's. I mean, it is a bad film, it but it's also like I, uh, me and my me and my siblings watched the hell out of it's it. It's guilty pleasure in it. It's a big guilty pleasure it's film. A Plus, whole block of cheese. Plus, 
<laughs> Buster did the song I, for I it. I mean, so which is an absolute bop. It's so, a tune. Thunderbirds are yeah. Go so yeah, tune. she she plays she plays Lady Penelope in that, and that was really wow. the only other thing that I knew her. Yeah. From. Because so, was that around? That was a couple of years before this, wasn't it? Oh, it was 2004. And obviously this aired. This would have been, this would have been uh, recorded in 2005. Right. Uh, so not long 2006. after. So not long after, no. Because um, she was only... Um, uh, she would have only been 25 when she was when she filmed that. Oh, wow. So, so when they say she's 23, in, not far they're off. actually not wrong. She just, I think she's sort of not... She's very mature looking. Mm-hmm for her age I damn guess. yeah because if you put her next to us right obviously yeah, she, she was same age as us when she, she was 25 that. and died 2005 i'm 25 now i'm not being funny but if you put the two of us next to each other at the same age nah you kind of assume that she was older. no way yeah. i look 25 <laughs> but uh but her and david tennant were a thing for two years mm. assumedly uh I'm, I'm gonna sort of assume that they met uh, yes, they began dating after filming Doctor Who. I mean, you snog someone like that. I wonder how many times they I had mean, to snog on set to Tenet, uh, get the kiss right. Met his met his current wife on the set of Doctor Who as well. In the he Doctor's played daughter. his daughter. <laughs> played his daughter, who is also the daughter of the fifth Doctor, Peter Davison. So it's all wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. But I mean, so, hey, even if you date if you date David Tennant for two years, I would put that on my CV for the rest of my <laughs> life. <laughs> and I there dated it is. David Tennant from the years the of two thousand and five to two thousand and seven. <laughs> the weekly thirst. Hey. Oh my god! I'm just just because I've got her Wikipedia page open. It turns out that in, from two thousand and four to two thousand and five, she was in a relationship with Charles Dance. Who's that? As in. The guy, the the uh, he played Lord Mountbatten in The Crown, and that he was in Game of Thrones. Damn. Yeah. What's the age gap there? <laughs> Pretty substantial. Uh, I'm good. I mean, if that, yeah, if that, if if that aired 14 years ago, he'd have been 60. No way. And she'd have been 24. Oh. Hmm. Okay. Okay. At least so, David anyway. Tennant was closer to her age. Uh, a little bit, but yeah. Mm. Moving, <laughs> moving on. Um, wow. Something about Moffat's episodes that I wanted to bring up. There's a couple of things mm-hmm. uh, about Moffat's stuff. Obviously, one thing Moffat does is he takes a fear that's sort of a a, a, a general overall fear or something usually ne- necessarily not feared and turns into something scary. So you've mm-hmm. got gas masks in... Uh, in the child. child and Doctor Dances. Obviously, gas masks are inherently fearful because people may associate them with the Blitz. Uh, and but for me, I just They're associated just a gas bit masks. Creepy looking. Yeah, I just associated gas masks with the Empty Child. I remember going to. It must have been the Imperial War Museum in London, and I saw yes. gas masks hanging up on a wall, and I was just like, "Nope, and I'm, I'm done. I'm out." I am school trips. I am terrified of gas masks. I don't like this. Please <laughs> leave me done. alone. Obviously, you have. Uh, statues in Blink. You have uh, a pretty certain... Uh, Which, thanks very much, Moffat. I can never walk near statues again now. Yeah. You have... Uh, a pr- Moffat did write... Uh, just just confirm me before I say something really stupid. He did write the Silence of the Library and Forest of the Dead as well. Oh, did he? Uh, I have to, I have to double check this. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Or did he? Or was that T Davies? That is a Russell T Davies thing. I'm just checking his. Uh, can I have some right? Oh, here you go. Writing credits. That's what I was looking for. Doobie 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 doobie. He did. Yes. He I did write Silence in the uh, Library. Right. He did write Silence in the Library for so us. So shadows as well. So shadows. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so yeah, you know, he takes he takes though he takes little things and makes them scary. And the way that he incorporates that in the Girl in the Fireplace, which I didn't really sort of think about obviously now that we're watching this and doing a bit more analytical viewing we're still kind of watching it very casually we, we don't really mm. we're not we're not taking notes we like we we've mentioned specific things maybe once or twice to be like i'm gonna if i say that to you i'll probably remember it to talk about in the podcast later um when the uh the the clockwork droid is under her bed he says like you know don't don't go near the edges don't Sit, like, stay, stay in the middle center in the, stay in the middle and obviously that's just playing up on that fear in the middle of the night that you've got your hand or your leg hanging off the side of the bed you instinctively pull it back onto the bed under the duvet maybe even wrap the duvet underneath your leg because your we all arm. know monsters under the bed can't get through duvets <laughs> monsters under the bed can't get you if, if, if you're 
any of your appendages aren't hanging off the edge of the bed and i don't really notice that on that watch through like mm. if they he could have really lent on it and made it so they all of the all of the gateways somehow came out from under see the what bed. i want to know right is and i right. said this to you when we were watching it was he goes to renette stay in the middle of the bed don't put your hands and feet over the edge blah 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 and then he looks under the bed right now obviously thank you very much Buffett. we needed a jump scare however my question <laughs> is you go under a little girl's bed in the middle of a big 18th century bedroom she's not exactly going to have storage boxes she's not going to have socks shoved under there she's not going to have her old playstation so in the bed, is she, why in the hell does he look under the bed sees a giant french 18th century faced person as far as he's concerned and doesn't do anything until the thing whacks the sonic screwdriver out of his hand because yes we needed the jump scare really badly didn't we he's literally there like i don't see right. anything he is, like, i don't see anything at and then it goes whack and then all of a sudden he's like i'm going to something there like really come on and then he stands up and this he just sees like the shoes and then he looks up and there's a thing it's like well i mean why are you shocked you just saw it under the bed we could all see the wig you could see the wig i don't get it (laughs) (laughs) sorry but uh okay there (laughs) rant over yeah just i mean no you're right like the way that his arm the way that its arm is like angled you'd assume that he'd look under and the, the the mask is like staring the doctor straight in the face obviously based on obviously they can't really shoot in super darkness mm-hmm obviously but maybe it's implied that the lighting conditions in that room are a lot darker than we perceive them. well you would so, hope because i mean he turns the candle on doesn't he with his sonic screwdriver turns, turns the fire fireplace no the candle no, when he's fighting. next to the bed he goes, and he goes look look it's just me it's the guy from the fireplace yeah, he, he points the, he, he turns the fireplace he turns, points the sonic screwdriver at the candle and turns the candle on Maybe it turns the candles on as well, but he turns the fireplace on. But it was just, like, how can you turn candles on with a sonic screwdriver? I mean, how can Dumbledore <laughs> do it with his own hand? So, Well, Dumbledore's yeah. a wizard. The Doctor isn't yeah, a well, wizard. Yeah, so is the Doctor. Checkmate. Yeah, no, what? No, he's not. Yeah, I want to see the Doctor <laughs> go back to the wizard. No, let's not talk about that. Okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but yes. Yeah. So that, I was how, that was how that was. That was one of Moffat's uh, little little sort of recurring things that he, he likes to play up on with those fears. And the other thing that again I'd never really noticed until now. Mm. Obviously, with this romance between the Doctor and Madame de Pompadour, there is a lot of, you know, the eyes that Nala does in The Lion King. <laughs> the sex that's, eyes. That's Simba, will you work Hakuna my tatters? <laughs> like there is. There is very much that look from her a lot. And, oh. you know, yeah, yeah, A, she's, like, kissing him. And la, 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 when... La, la. Yeah, can you... Every <laughs> every goddamn week... You're going to get that noise. Um, when the Doctor's reading her mind, uh, which is another thing, like, the, the Doctor's psychic powers that we only really get to see with Tennant. Like, mm. I love that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, because Matt Smith um, just, just, like bangs his he head into scans people. It, yeah, he bangs, bangs his head and usually uses his sonic screwdriver instead. Um, when they're doing the, the, the sort of mind-reading thing and the Doctor says, like, oh, if there's anything you don't want me to see, imagine a door and close it. And the first thing he does is go, oh, oh. And, and honestly, my first thought is he is literally, she is literally showing him this is how I look naked, mm-hmm. by the way. It, like, 100%. Oh, duh. I mean, like, the look on her face, she looks yeah, up at it and she almost does the lip she, bite of, like, she's, oh. she's she's got that. She's got the Hakuna eyes. She's <laughs> doing the Hakuna eyes. Um, even the doctors are like, oh, God, oh, oh, oh. Like, he, similar to the kiss, at first he's like, oh, God, and then goes, actually, do you know what? Go, fine, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to the point when Rose and Mickey are captured by the droids, again, it's the only real substantial thing they do, apart from the scene when Rose comes and tells... Um, Madame de Pompadour they'll be here in five years which could have again could have easily been the Doctor I don't it's understand very, I've it's never very, understood very why. poorly explained when she says what, why can't he be here to promise this himself she just sort of brushes past it's the it. way it's, it's like, gotta be why it's like this is this is obviously just let's get let, let's we need give to make Rose sure something that to do it's in the same way that it's like quick give Ryan something obvious to point out in series 12 and <gasps> 13 that? to make it so what he's got that? <laughs> like just 
yeah, we, we need to give him a line. Cool, let's do that. So in reality, for like Rose and for, for Mickey's first adventure, he's barely in it. For mm-hmm. Rose's first big adventure with Mickey, they're barely in it. Like, it's a shame. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But when it gets to that point when um, she says, you know, come and dance with me. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I can't. I just can't. It's set events. Come and, come, and, come, and, come and dance. Come and dance. And it's like, think about the fact that in The Empty Child or more so The Doctor Dances, dancing is a big old metaphor for shagging. I mean... So... You said that downstairs. You were like, oh, is a... Uh... Is this, do we think this is a metaphor, Moffat's metaphor for shagging? And I was like... Because he's used it before. Maybe. However, he then comes in with a tie wrapped around his head, sunglasses on. I am not disputing that there was some dancing. He went to like, a party and danced. You go, to, you, go, you go out to the club with your best bitch in your best frock. I mean... And you do some, and you do some dancing and then you leave the club. You go pick up a box of fried chicken. You, do. you go home... And you do some more dancing. If you don't pick up a box of fried chicken on the way home from the club, did you even go out? Did you even dance, bro? <laughs> or, like, I'll accept a kebab or pizza as well. Like, but you've got to yeah. have some sort of food. Or gotta Mackey's. Have, gotta have... Mm. <laughs> yeah, I've just made you a curry. <laughs> I have just made you a curry. But it's the thought of having food at, like, four o'clock in the morning when you're absolutely rat-assed and you're just, like, stuffing chicken nuggets in your face. It was the, the, best right, it was the worst thing about, like, when we were at uni, it was like, every time we go out, we we go to Express Diner in Coventry. Or on, Blue uh, Rooster, it ended up being or Blue Rooster in later years. In, in, if on, you're from uh, Coventry, on, let us yeah. know. Blue Rooster on on Butts next to the Aardvark, the pub I used to work in. Butts is the road, by the way, Butts in case that street, confuses yeah. anybody. And then... The the Express Diner on Far Gosford Street, didn't that close? Mm, yeah, it was replaced by something else. But anyway, yeah. Like you're you're out, you're you're, you're pissed, you've had loads of but your your mouth tastes like booze and you just think the only thing the only thing that's gonna remedy this isn't a, a nice toothbrush and some toothpaste, it's a box of greasy fried chicken. Mm, that's what you need. And fries. And then you, then, yeah. And then you, I go home, go out in Horncastle with some friends. And I'm like pissed out of my mind, and it's like there's no. We're in the middle of like a tiny, like tiny town in rural Lincolnshire. Yep. And there's nowhere to get fried chicken. I'm staying at a mate's house. Christ. I can't go raid the freezer and make myself some food. So it's like you've got that taste of just wanting fried chicken, and ah, uh, you can't have it. And anyway. that's why Northampton is okay for a night out because all the clubs are on the same street as Mackey's. <laughs> that's good to know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the doctor goes and does some oh, the doctor does some dancing uh, and yeah the Hakuna eyes and the let's go and dance and then when the doctor saves Renette from the clockwork droids when she does turn 37 um, she says you know take my hand and she leads him to the bedroom and you have that shot of the camera moving to the left you have them in the doorway in the foreground you've got the bed and it's like here's the bed taking up a third of the frame it's like you gotta be look, look it's a bed 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 they're gonna start dancing and then it's like oh by the way there's the fireplace that's <laughs> actually what she meant so it's like even the cinematography the script the cinematography the eyes of oh my god david doomy um 
Who doesn't? All of that. Um, all of that was. I, I admittedly, I, I, I exactly. I, I planted that one. Um, all of that was relevant. All of that was deliberate, mm-hmm. and I, I love that. I, I love that. It's the sort I mean, of thing that, as a not, child, you kind of you don't notice. Skip over because it's not relevant to the episode. But as a family show, you go, mm. "Oh damn, he just seen her titties in her but, hand." <laughs> <laughs> but as I said, I, I, you know, when we're having the discussion when we did the Doctor Dances, when Jack's on the on the railway track going, and we see the second transformation sequence in Doctor Dances, and the Doctor and Rose just stood there talking about dancing. Yeah, and, like, and it was only really like that time we watched it did it really click. It's like. He's talking about Jack going and shagging stuff. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Like, and I love that. That's that's the thing. Like, I love the way that when it, when things like this get away with adult humor, it's why I love things like Gravity Falls. It's why oh, um, yes. like Ardman films are really good because a they're just really well made. They're really well written. They're really well acted and just funny films. But also because they get away with some really like adult humor through it that just goes completely over the kids' heads. Mm-hmm. And if you know what you're listening for you're going to get a good pop out of it. So, yep. you know, not only is it quite a, it is quite a moving story um, when, you know, I think it is, the doctor you know. works out, the doctor works out that the, uh, the fireplace works, he goes back and, you know, he's so blinded by this idea that he could go with Renette. He, you know, if Mickey, Mickey's got, Mickey's got, Rosa's got Mickey. That's what I was mm-hmm. um, And he could have Renette. Know, not to sound shallow, but it's like, I've got some real haughty, like clamoring the for a slice of this. The mistress of France. <laughs> you just kind of like, is it going to be stupid of me to turn this down? Yes. However, perhaps. however, had he actually managed to get Renette out of the fireplace, how do you think Rose would have felt about that man? Because I mean, she well, exactly. Clearly that's something we. That's something episode, we don't. Does not explore. like. It's not that she doesn't like her, but I think she's very offish with her when like i mean a when she goes to speak to her and is like the doctor will be here in five years time she's Mm. very offish with her you can tell like she just wants to get out of there and like go and even though she has that moment of like are you okay when they're on the spaceship and she can hear the screaming and stuff that's more of like just like a kind of friendly caring instinct i really don't think that she's that keen on her because despite the fact that obviously mickey's there and they're trying to like you know they're off doing their own thing and what have you um Obviously, Rose is still in love with, like, the Doctor, and he's off, sort of, fannying around heh, with uh, this other woman, and she's kind of like, "Oh, I guess am I just nothing now? Then, okay, cool, mm. great, thanks, the fabulous, thank you very much." And you know, that's her. So, had he actually managed to get her out of the fireplace and brought her back, it would have been a very awkward flight. Yeah, a little bit. But yeah, the doctor's so caught up in this excitement, this person that he maybe perhaps feels like he could actually be with. Whether mm. he see, you know, as I said, whether he just sees this as a bit of a, of a of a fun fling, or whether it's like this could this could somehow be something. I guess I don't know. Mm. He gets so caught up in the like two minutes pack a bag, and it's like you forget, Doctor, the events from you know for you probably a couple of hours ago, like. You disappear for, for 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 thirty seconds from one of these time windows. You come back and time has jumped forward. And obviously, yeah. he comes back, and Madame de Pompadour has passed away. Well, how she, old was she? She, she was thirty seven when they invaded, and then she was forty three when she died. Forty seven was it? She was forty two. Forty two. So only five years have passed. So in thirty seconds of him going back to tell Mickey and Rose to get in the TARDIS, which might not have even been 30 seconds. It was probably literally maybe like 15. Time maybe. has elapsed for five years. Yeah. Which is... Uh... And she she unfortunately uh, passes away from... I want to see what the disease it was. It was, illness, it was, it was but... disease. It was just mm. an illness that... Uh... See, the, uh, once again, and this is like, you know, a kind of a running joke with us now, but I felt more for the two of them and their relationship than I ever did for Benny. So. <laughs> yeah. She died of tuberculosis. Oh, man. So. Damn. Yeah. Because we see uh, the doctor, you know, conveniently leaves the fireplace again five years later when the, you know, King... Uh, Oh God, Louis King is Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of the window, seeing her 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 hearse be taken away from Versailles, mm-hmm. and she leaves him the letter 
And you just see, he doesn't even speak. Yeah. Like, just... That whole scene, he literally just, just comes in distraught. and says, is Renette here? And I think as soon as he says she'll be on her way to Paris, she'll be in Paris by six. Isn't that when the Doctor doesn't talk then after that? Does he say anything after that? I don't know. I don't think I he don't does. I think so. I think she just I think just that whole kind scene of, is he just, just in silence. I think maybe that was the realisation, you know, that the, the mood of the room he could probably read as he walked in. You know, the idea that, you know, when he says, when King Louis says, like, you know, she was you've right. not you've not yeah she's right you haven't aged a day mm-hmm. and he's kind of like oh how long has it been yeah and obviously he would have he would have known you know he knows all this about madame de pompadour he knows that she passed away at 42 maybe this is one of the reasons why he's like so excited because he's like you've still got five years yeah. and you can go and do this <clears throat> but even even more so what i was thinking is obviously even though i didn't know what the um what the disease was because they don't say in the episode that it's tuberculosis they just say illness took her in the end it just says illness what if running through the doctor's mind at this point was the idea that if she were with him he wouldn't she wouldn't he could have saved her maybe because assumedly like i don't because because i mean i'm not an expert on tuberculosis but i'm assuming it's not it's not a a fatal illness in today's medicine i'm assuming Uh, it's not i don't know i i can't say yes or no to that one i'm not a doctor <clears throat> no um, i'm trying to see if there's any like just google is tuberculosis fatal um but uh yeah i don't know whether he would or not maybe he did feel like if she went with him he might have been able to save her because i mean he i mean you know obviously at the start of the episode is it at the start of the excuse me at the start of the episode when um she says, like, what could monsters possibly be afraid of? And he says, me. You get that mm. very small hint of his um, sort of, like, overlordiness that's, that Moffat likes to throw into Matt Smith's Doctor, which is, mm. like, I'm the all-powerful. And obviously it wasn't so, like, prominent back in, like, Tennant's first sort of, like, thing. Obviously we get the evolution of Tennant's Doctor and how, you know, all that happens. But um, without sort of giving spoilers, most of you probably would have watched this, but, you know, yeah. I like to not sort we of... Want, we, want, we want to make sure we can be accommodating people yeah. who are watching this for the first um, time. So obviously you get that kind of, like, very small inkling of, like, oh, I can change things. And despite the fact that he knows that, like, what he's doing is, like, set time frames and stuff, like he mentions, it's kind of like he... Uh, like, you know, we can't just go in the TARDIS because we're part of the events and stuff. Um, I think part of him maybe does think maybe I could save her and maybe I could show her the world that she dreams of since she's met me. And, you know, I've no- she's known me since I was seven. Maybe I could be this person for her, this, like, for this lonely angel that she so desperately sort of desires. Yeah. But did you find out whether tuberculosis was fatal? Apparently, according to sort of modern medicine, in like a case of a hundred thousand people who are HIV negative, um, the mortality rate is like two to three percent. Oh, so, so it's quite low. Basically, like curable. If, yeah. Basically, yeah. Right. So I, I wonder whether there is that inherent like, if she, you know, or maybe he realizes that this is a it probably would be a fixed point in time. He would have only five years with her, but then, you know, they, she could just depend with how she ages, supposedly. Um, she could have been 50 when he brought her back and she could have mm-hmm. died at the age of 42. Um, like, in terms of, like, r- relative time to her timeline. But in reality, that she could have been older. So if he, he brings her back to her her. the point when he took her, is that what you mean? So, like, Basically. if, if he I mean, were to steal her on that day when she was 37 and he saved her, if he went away mm. with her for, I don't know, 15 years, but then brought her back to that exact day, would she then only have another five years? Is that what you mean? Probably. Right. Because whatever, the, assumedly the events that would lead to her Getting catching tuberculosis, tuberculosis would, would stick. And I think maybe, cause I, obviously the Doctor isn't, he's not in his time of victorious state yet. Mm. We see that at the end of season four. Um and he won't want to mess with fixed events in time. But one thing that makes it potentially easier is the fact that 
she's already accepted her potential death once already. Mm-hmm. She's already been told that they're in five years they're going to get you. And then at, at that point, in another five years, it will get you. Yeah. But this time, there isn't anything that can save you. There is nothing that can save you. This is something that is going to have to happen mm-hmm. to you. But maybe, you know, being this intelligent, this strong woman, maybe she can go, do you know what? No. Fine. If I no. can have five years of incredible um, intergalactic travel and intergalactic shagging <laughs> with the doctor, if I can do that for five years and hopefully not die from a Dalek blast or something in the process, then... Yeah. Then in what five years song. it would have been. Then what a five years it'll be. Mm. I feel like she might be able to accept that. If she can borderline accept that when Rose tells her this and she's still coming to terms with this whole you know New clockwork droid malarkey that maybe she could come to terms with the idea that just one day disease will get her mm. she probably but could i that's... mean she almost does in the letter i think doesn't she exactly yeah she she acknowledges the fact that she's Growing getting on weak. and she you know she it's says. one of those mysteries of uh of of, of humanity's or a person's psyche this idea that people can sort of gauge mm. when they're when they're about to go like pe- like relatives i know people i have loved have just somehow known mm. that it was going to be their time not going to go into detail because it's very sad but, but she um you know yeah she does very much sort of take that like um, and it, i think that's almost like the worst part about this whole kind of thing is like you could say that their relationship felt a little bit forced at the start and whatever but you know I think maybe one of the reasons that the Doctor falls for her so quickly is the fact that he knows that in her head he has been there her entire life and Mm -hmm. he kind of adopts that as, like, I am her, like, her sort of secondary... Yeah, like, I'm her sort of guardian. I'm there to protect her. Like, I promise her this, I promise her that. I saved her from the droids here, there and everywhere. Um... And he kind of falls into that. And so when he's so excited, I think it's so heartbreaking because like that whole sequence from the minute she shows him the fireplace is like, you know, or even the speech where she goes like, I would have enjoyed the slow path. It's almost like she kind of knew that like she wasn't going to see him again. And she was like, I would have enjoyed the soap path. And then takes to the fireplace and he disappears and he's like, oh, pack a bag. And he's so, so excited. And then mm. literally within 30 seconds, she's gone. It's like that devastation think- of like seeing that process. And I think this is where David Tennant's acting is like so phenomenal because he goes from being like absolutely elated to literally having to be heartbroken in like the next sort of like i mean obviously they wouldn't have filmed them back to back but like you know i mean like his acting comes from really really sort of powerfully of like you know he's sort of ecstatic one minute and devastated the next and you just like you see you you like so believable the way he Mm. sort of says to rose like i'm always all right and you just see that look on his face like you know he's not even if you weren't there like rose wasn't she knows he's not but like there's nothing she can do about it and you can see when mickey says come on time to show me around it's like he I think like, he reads it as well and he's like you know what let's just leave you to it but like the doctor is almost grateful that he gets that moment to himself because he looks at them as they walk off and he's like right now i can be sad now i can read this now i can grieve mm-hmm. basically like i i almost forgotten about the fact that the episode actually ends with the tardis dematerializing and showing you the ss madame de pompadour and obviously the implication is that the the droids almost bless them they 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 used every single resource they had which unfortunately ended up being the the crew Mm -hmm. and the last the 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 last thing they're like programming could think of to try and save the ship what they're destined to do as as a as a being basically they went for madame de pompadour but i i'd sort of i couldn't remember exactly where the the cliffhanger came or the the, sorry the ending came in and i thought you could have done it like um at the end of uh series I want to say after Donna when, when the last episode right at the end of the last episode of the series after the Doctor does to Donna what happens um, the episode ends with the Doctor just sitting there looking completely devastated and that's where it ends like I almost oh uh, right instead of revealing the Madame de Pompadour stuff 
yeah right. it could have just ended with that and it would have that would have been as much as it's more like a bittersweet moment of seeing the ship her legacy like lived on mm. as this historical figure um they could have just left it with the doctor being completely and utterly heartbroken and just left it at that to really leave the episode not necessarily on a downer but just on something that would stick because it is sad mm, i don't know i quite enjoyed the ending because it wraps i'm not saying i would change it because but i'm I just mean, like that could have still worked yeah oh yeah it could have done but i think the ending of showing you the fact that the ship is called the ss madame de pompadour was a very clever thing to do on moffat's part because it pieces together kind of all the unknowns throughout the episode of like rose asks like well actually the question is asked throughout the entire episode so renette says why are you why are you after me or why do you want me and he's like you are compatible but never explains why rose says yeah but why her twice um Mm. and this question is asked like throughout the episode which you never get an answer to and you sort of almost forget that you need to know the answer because of everything else going on in the episode like you know they salvaged the crew to use them for parts and you know you just kind of assume that maybe they just landed on this person and you know obviously there's a reason but the fact that you're never gonna know and it's a nice way to wrap it up for the audience but obviously it gives you i feel like it almost adds to the slight heartbreak for the doctor because he never fully understands why they ended up where they ended up and why they were going for her in the first place whereas i think if he'd have even if he hadn't parked his tardis in front of that painting and he'd seen her painting um it would have just tied everything together for him and sort of been like do you know what her legacy lived on she was like you know she was a fantastic woman or whatever but it adds to his heartbreak of him never really understanding why that was a thing and never getting that closure of like oh it's okay you know her legacy lives on because you see that like her painting and the title on the ship it sort of does that for us and it's kind of like oh that's lovely but also really sad (laughs) yeah so there's 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 a lot to love about this episode yeah i do love this episode it it's it's very much a love story between madame de pompadour and the doctor you know the flaws are like you know why what what do what purpose do mickey and rose serve throughout the course of apart this? from Where the one the doctor... fantastic joke right in the middle where the doctor says something like go and get arthur or something like that and rose goes oh he goes what who's arthur a good name for a horse you're not keeping no the you're horse. not keeping the horse and he goes well are you let and you keep like, mickey you know, the doctor's <laughs> like go away i'm not your mother like he's like oh, i don't want this horse leave me alone oh god and he's like actually do you know what i love this horse let's just i just want the horse take the horse it's mine it's like you're not keeping the, the horse. horse well i'll let you keep mickey that joke just sold the you whole can, thing you can tell he's already liking it because you know when he finds the horse he then finds that doorway that goes out into the gardens where he sees madame de Pompadour chatting to the other woman mm-hmm. and it's like he didn't even let the horse out no, he didn't let the horse go it. even though he's like this is where you came from out with you he just kept it i love that i love that fantastic name for a horse (laughs) but um but yeah so mickey and rose literally the only purpose they so they solve solve say that again the only purpose they serve in this episode is to be kind of the butt of jokes and to be like the rescuees i guess yeah they could have easily done this that they they do almost what they did in A Christmas Carol, uh, one yeah. of Matt Smith's specials, where that was a it's good like, episode. oh no, Amy and Rory are trapped on a ship that's going to crash. Well, that's it. <laughs> They're just like away from it. The events of the episode tie back to that, but that's just how, how it mm-hmm. is. They could have probably, I feel like, could have easily done this without Rose there. But I but, mean, yeah, no, I love the horse. Anyway, the horse is yeah. just when he when, when I, he went around the corner, I was like, oh my god, this is the bit where he meets the horse. <laughs> yeah, you can hear the music, and it's like something weird's going to happen here. Oh my god, it's a horse. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So there's a, there's a lot to love about, about the girl in the fireplace. I I do hold this episode quite fondly. Mm, personally, it's a really good um, one. It's a, it's a nice one to just sit and watch, and there, there's a, there's enough there to dig into to, to really start to feel that emotion that like Tennant feels and to feel the love that that Madame de Pompadour feels. But you also just sit and watch it for the cool clockwork droids, which look really cool. I love they the amount beautiful. of time that went into putting together this big clockwork thing. And the detail so, on the masks and stuff, like you don't really realise how cracked and like old they are because Yeah, they really they really play up. Realistically on it. Awesome. The, do the clockwork droids disguise themselves as 
18th century like aristocrats or I would say I would say they would just be like almost like naked I guess during normal flight yeah and then they just don the and costumes again, to fit if they're, they're in this position where they, they need to do whatever they can to keep the ship going they will they will you know improvise do you think they killed some and people and stole their costumes and used them for probably. parts as well yeah found somehow found some masks or they managed to craft them out of whatever bits Maybe. and bobs but and it kind of like implies no that they're super old and that they've obviously yeah. been doing this for a while and i like that the fact that the, that little attention to detail is like their masks aren't perfect and stuff yeah. So yeah, I, I, I enjoy that episode. There is one last question, which I think similar to a question we had last week about child actors that we're going to take sort of ahead, take forward with us, because it's not really something we can answer just yet. Uh, Ryder Ho asks, uh, which do you think is the best representation of a historical figure in Doctor Who? Ooh. And that's A, that's a tough question, and B, that's probably one you're going to have to leave with us, because so far we've only had Madame de Pompadour and Charles Dickens. Damn, there's really. so many. There are a lot. We we've got two... Shakespeare, we've got uh, Nicola Tesla, say Rosa. we've got Edison, we've got Van Gogh, we've got Rosa. Rosa Parks, yeah. yeah. There's... God, there's so many good historical figures. We've got figures Winston in Churchill, we've Doctor got Adolf Who. Hitler. G- like, I mean, Jesus loads. Christ. Yeah. So I would say, Ray, leave that one with us. That's probably one we'll get back to because I'm sure we're going we'll to have to make a note of an it, though, because I will yeah. forget. Child actors and historical figures so write we'll keep an down. ear out write for those down. i will write it down thank you um so leave that one with us my friend thank you for for leaving thanks us for question. such a good do, question yeah if you do have any questions regarding next week's episode which is the rise of the cybermen <gasps> cybermen are back parallel earth etc oh et this is a two-parter isn't it this is a two-parter hey. so we're gonna have to do as uh we said uh, at the beginning of this series slash at the end of last one we're going to do two parters as their own episode from here yeah, on out because it's kind of hard to do to dig into the first part and then have not feel maybe not as much to talk about and to try and stretch things out for the second so however we will maybe do this still analyze them as like two separate parts so we'll like st- yeah we'll, we'll say like them, how it like, feels to end it at like the point where they ended it and like yeah, begin the next we'll one still and stuff discuss like that, the cliffhanger but... etc yeah yeah but that's gonna be a two-parter so age of steel the Rise of the Cybermen in the Age of Steel. So if you've got any questions regarding that episode, or those episodes, that story, I should say, then let us know in the comments uh, below if you're listening on YouTube, if you are just listening on your whatever podcast app slash platform slash service you are on, then you can tweet us the questions at WhoCulture. Use the hashtag EscapingCasturbarus so we can see it. Can I interject? I in have air. a question. I was going to say, you so have to, that... You have to tweet it to us at no. WhoCulture using the hashtag EscapingCasturbarus. <laughs> no, Amy, come on. No. So that... You get special treatment, <clears throat> do you? Who asked the question about the historical figures? Ryder. Okay. Right. Ryder. Ryder. Rye. Rye. Okay. I'm really Rye. sorry for butchering your name. Um, so that they don't feel like we've just brushed over their question and won't come back to it. Who did you... I'll ask you this instead then. Who did you prefer... Charles Dickens or Madame de Pompadour, since we've watched those two. Charles Dickens. Did you? Not because it's because it's series one and it's Eccleston and everyone always hangs me up for yeah, literally liking Eccleston things. The whole, they love the Eccleston, they're in it. No, uh, actually, we love more than Eccleston. I, I think I like Charles Dickens more so because he turns around, he comes around as a character to all the stuff that's going on. Madame de Pompadour just kind of accepts it and don't get me wrong, she's a badass and I love mm-hmm. it, but I much prefer the development of Charles Dickens because he's he, he just he's a denier in the first place and then it all just sort of clicks for him and there's so much more... You know, the thing about Madame de Pompadour is she's a very sort of calm and collected mm. character you see that like fear and emotion a bit later on but usually she's pretty like she's like sharp as a tack and she can read the situation she will command the room she's in charles dickens like sort of flounces about like a bit of an idiot when he's in the the sort of the the, the funeral home yeah and i love that about him and the way that the doctor kind of explains being a fanatic and charles dickens being um you know in this position where he's up against somebody that you know, celebrities of nowadays will be used to mm. back then that maybe wasn't the case or at least people wouldn't be able to get this that close to him so i love that that whole thing and yeah mm. I, I i prefer charles dickens okay. I, it's it's kind of like if i if, if you maybe pick one it would be that way around but... i think i personally would go the opposite Fair um enough. i think i'd pick madame de pompadour mainly for the reasons that you listed and the fact that she's an absolute badass and the fact oh, that yeah. she just like she doesn't take crap from anybody she's like 
she she like you said she's sharp as a tack she knows what's going on but also i feel like i don't know like yes charles dickens's character did have that kind of evolution and stuff um but i feel like slightly more likely i can she, i don't know whether madame de pompadour is slightly more relatable in a way um yeah potentially i don't know i think i just slightly preferred her I couldn't really give you a reason. I just feel like I preferred her character. A As bit said, we more. don't have like they're two very different characters, so that it's kind of hard to yeah. really it's like saying which like, do overall prefer, put one orange. above the other. But yeah, we'll get we'll get back to that one right when we get through more of these historical figure episodes i say we had queen victoria as well oh my god Ooh. duh of course I probably missed another queen one victoria as well. was yeah okay queen, queen victoria was fantastic was pretty, pretty fantastic um it's oh, there's not i don't think there's many if we're gonna throw queen victoria there's probably the not been many historical figures they've got wrong but i yeah mm, we'll we'll mm. we'll we'll get to that we I need think, to make a list because of that, historical figures that yeah, have never been like thingy did that who that is about all the time we have for Girl in the Fireplace. So again, if you have any questions regarding the rise of the Cybermen and the Age of Steel, then let us know in the comments if you're on YouTube, if you are listening on your podcast app slash whatever, then please let us know on Twitter. Please use the hashtag Escaping Custerberus in your tweets, or at least send them to at WhoCulture, because at least then I can find yeah, them. Yeah, we won't see them otherwise. Uh, if you tweet them directly to me, there's a good chance they might get buried with how uh, long it is between, like doing these podcasts that's not a flex to say that my notifications are full all the time but it, usually if you tweet me something like that then it might get buried and i'm gonna scroll back if you tweet me however it. tweet I'll amy is fine <laughs> where can they find you on twitter they can find amy? me at ames underscore elizabeth you can find me on twitter at pickup change toe as said best thing to do just tweet them at who culture yes use the hashtag escaping Custerberus if you can for next well, week's please. episode spelling is in the title two watch two episodes. two episodes watch both parts because otherwise yeah. you'll be an episode behind exactly and it's not very often that we'll be an episode have you because you guys <laughs> have already finished season four when the sun is taken <laughs> yes, finished sorry. season two oh. and we apologize but anyway thank you very much for listening i hope you've enjoyed this episode of escaping gusturberus hopefully we'll see you soon hopefully not too far away mm-hmm. otherwise take care of yourselves be good stay safe we'll see you soon indeed Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.